Today's reading is Daniel chapter 3. If you please stand for the reading of God's word. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, prefects, and governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, prefects, and governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king, Nebuchadnezzar, and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready to hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, and bagpipe, and every kind of music instrument to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of his mighty men to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their outer garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was so urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire kindled those men, killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men, unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, 
he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over those bodies of the men. The hairs of their heads were not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Scott. It's one of the more well-known stories of the Old Testament. You probably find it in many of the children's Bibles. What a great, true story that we have just heard read. And what a, what a privilege it is for us to take some time this morning to ask the Lord to speak to us through his word as we consider what he has us to learn from this. Well, this story in Daniel chapter 3, it continues that theme of faithfulness in exile. First and foremost, God's faithfulness to his people, but then also it is that faithfulness of God to his people that enables and empowers his people to respond with faithfulness themselves. Psalm 26.3, for your steadfast love is before my eyes and I walk in your faithfulness. That's a, a brief stanza from the psalm that we can keep in our minds, at the forefront of our minds as we study our way through the book of Daniel. For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I wonder this morning, what is before your eyes? If it's not the steadfast love of God, you will find it difficult to walk in faithfulness. But this true story will help us It will help us keep that steadfast love of God before our eyes today. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace makes it clear to us that life in exile, life in this world is hard. It's filled with pressure to leave the God we love and to worship worship devils, the idols of this world. But this story also makes it clear in a powerful way That God's people are not alone. God's people are never alone. God is with us in the hardship, in the exile, in the fire. And he alone is able to deliver us and able to empower us to trust and obey. We want to consider those things this morning. And once again, we'll take this story in three parts. We begin with verses 1 through 15 where we see that life in exile is hard. Life in this world is hard. We face suffering, we face hardship, we face temptation. Life in this world is filled with temptation that is common to man. Will we worship and serve the one true God, or will we join in the worship of the idols of this age? Will we bow to the gods of this age? And in truth, life in this world is more than just hard. If we believe the scriptures... And what the scriptures say, 
They tell us that life in this world is actually a war. That we are in a spiritual battle. We have an enemy seeking to devour us. The world and our own flesh and the devil conspire against us. Yes, life is hard, but it's also a war. Life in exile was hard for the Israelites, for God's people in the Old Testament. It's hard for us. It's hard for all of God's people. And it was hard for Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. By the end of our study, you'll know their names, right? They're known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego here in Daniel chapter 3. But these three men are called together along with all peoples and nations and languages. Remember that phrase? It's repeated here and Later on in the book of Daniel, we'll see that phrase over and over again. But all these people are gathered together, these people of King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, and they are commanded to bow down and worship this golden image that he's set up. There's this grand assembly. He gathers all his officials. He gathers all these musicians. And there's this grand assembly. We might think of something like the opening ceremony of the Olympics or perhaps a New Year's Eve celebration in New York City. But he he wants this grand show of solidarity. Worship my gods, worship me. And if you dare defy me, you will die. You will be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Now just a, a couple items of note as we take a look at this. First of all, where's Daniel? I wonder if you've ever read this story and you've asked that question. Where's Daniel? I used to ask that question myself often and it really helped this week as I studied deeper to to find an answer to that question. Because I used to think, well, there's no mention of Daniel. Does that mean he bowed? And beloved, we run into danger when we speculate on things that the scriptures don't make clear. That's dangerous. And it's a danger that extends far beyond the pages of scripture. Sometimes we might wonder, somebody's not where we think they ought to be. Well, don't speculate. Just ask. Sometimes we might think that somebody's not doing what we think they should be doing. And we, we can easily assign blame or assume motives. That speculation leads to danger. Just ask. So I don't want to speculate on where Daniel is. We don't know for sure, but if we stay close to the text and you go back to the end of chapter 2, verse 49, it says Daniel remained at the king's court. He had a unique position in the court of the king. Now this story, Daniel chapter 3, is about nine years later. We're not always told the time gaps here, but remember the whole book takes place over a series of 70 plus years. And we're going to study it in about... I don't know, 10, 12 weeks, so a short amount of time. 70 plus years, and we're only given insight in about nine days from Daniel's life. So this is about nine years later, and it appears that Daniel, serving in the king's court, either was not required to attend the ceremony, or perhaps he was off working somewhere else, attending to some other important matter. So where's Daniel? We don't know for sure, but it doesn't mean that he bowed. Let's not jump to that conclusion. Another detail to know is where... This is taking place. Nebuchadnezzar sets up this image of gold in the province of Babylon. And remember, Babylon reminds the exiles, God's people, as they hear this story. They're reminded of Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel. This is happening in the same general location. So here, in the same spot, you have another grand structure extending into the sky. Both the Tower of Babel and this image of gold, they are set up in defiance of the one true God. 
at Babel. The people were disobeying God's command to spread out and fill the earth. And here, this golden image that Nebuchadnezzar sets up comes on the heels of Daniel chapter 2. Daniel has just interpreted this king's dream. And what has he said? O king, you are the head of gold in this image in your dream. But you will be destroyed. Your kingdom will be destroyed and others will take it from you. But now, the king is not content to just be the head of gold. He wants to be the whole statue. So he sets up this golden statue, 90 feet high. That would be easily more than twice as high as this ceiling here above us. Extending out into the sky. He wants all the world, all peoples, nations, and languages to be bowing down to him. He's defying God. And at the same time, commanding others, yelling to others, bow down and worship me and don't you dare defy me. I'll defy the living God, but don't you dare defy me. Beloved, life in this world is hard. We're filled with, we're faced with opposition and temptation and pressure. There was pressure. And this was the pressure that Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were under. It's a temptation, it's a pressure that's common to man. We face similar pressures today. The world around us defies God. And then they yell at his people, don't you dare defy us or you will suffer the consequences. For you, it may be an employer that requires you to adopt practices or beliefs that go against the word of God. You may not lose your life in that scenario, but you may lose your job. We live in a world that is blind to the glory of God. In the midst of people who do not know or love or worship the creator, the king, the savior. We were among those people at one time. We were blind to his glory. We live in the midst of people who do not walk in the light or according to the truth. They do what is right in their own eyes and they pressure everyone around them, including God's people, to do the same. And so we face pressure in this world today, pressure to adopt the values and practices of a world that does not know or love or worship God. And if you don't join in with them, you will be rejected. Beloved, this is standard fare for God's people in exile. Don't be surprised when it comes upon you. Be aware. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Abednego, they faced this pressure and and they faced it in particular, in three ways. They faced the pressure of authority. The pressure of authority. They lived in Babylon where Nebuchadnezzar was king. The one in authority in the land that they lived commanded them to disobey God and obey him instead. And he had, Nebuchadnezzar had the earthly power to punish them if they did not do what he said. So there was an authority over them commanding them to do something wrong. They faced the pressure of authority. They also faced the pressure of conformity. Everyone was doing it. Verse 7 says, As soon as all the peoples heard the sound, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So we're not told how many people, but it was a vast crowd, and it included people from all over the world, all peoples, nations, and languages, and they were all doing the same thing. They were all obeying the king's command. And disobeying the command to worship God. So there was this pressure, this intense pressure of conformity. 
But beloved, what is right and good is not determined by how many people are doing it or how many people believe it or by how loudly they proclaim it. But if that's what you see over and over and hear over and over again, there's going to be this tremendous pressure to get swept up with the crowd. If that's what is before your eyes, what everybody else is doing in this world, it becomes very hard to walk in the faithfulness of the Lord. The pressure of conformity. And then they also face the pressure of intimidation. Verse 6, what did he say? Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. It's likely that they could see the furnace on a hill nearby that had been made to kill the bricks for the base of the statue that he set up. So they face this intimidation, and the threat they face is very real. A painful, horrible death. There will be severe consequences if they go against the authority, if they go against the crowd and obey their God. And yet, by the grace of God, that's exactly what they do. We're told that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow. And so some Chaldeans tell the king, and in a furious rage, he commands them to be brought before him. Give them one last chance. Remind them of the consequences, the threat that they face if they do not worship his image. They'll be immediately cast into this burning fiery furnace. And then he ends this tirade against them with this challenge. Verse 15. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Beloved, life in this world is hard. There is constant, severe pressure to worship other gods, to worship idols. There's an enemy that is seeking to devour us. He wants us to believe. He wants you to believe that there is no God. Or that if there is a God, he does not care about you. Or he's not able to help you. Beloved, those are all lies. Resist this enemy. Stand firm in your faith. Keep the steadfast love of God before your eyes. For although life is hard, it is not impossible. God is able to make you stand. This seems like an impossible situation to us. Surely, these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will die if they obey God. That's what it seems like. But before we move on to the second section and we see their response, let me just point out what may be a subtle jab from the author. There's lots of repetition in this chapter, and I won't be able to touch on all of it. But just an encouragement once again, anytime you're reading the scriptures, pay attention to things that are repeated. So there's lots of repetition in this chapter. So this may be a subtle jab. In contrast to the true God, and remember what the true God does from chapter 2, he removes kings, and he sets up kings. That's the true God. He reigns over the most powerful people on earth. In contrast to him, in chapter 3, we read about this image that was set up by man. This image that was made by man. So what does the true God do? He sets up kings and removes kings. What does Nebuchadnezzar do? He sets up this image, this false God. Ten times there's this reference to Nebuchadnezzar setting up this image, or making this image. It's almost as if the author is saying, hello, hey, don't miss this. Listen, 
This image is nothing but a man-made idol. It may have ears, but it does not hear. It may have eyes, but it does not see. It is nothing. It's not real. It's a farce. Yes, the intimidation was real. This is a fearful trial, but this image is a farce. There's no truth in it at all. It's empty. So, beloved, life, yes, life in this world is hard, but it's not impossible. Why? Because you're not alone. And because there is a truth that will set you free. There is a truth that will guide you. What is before your eyes? The huge statue? It's impressive, but it's powerless. What is before your eyes? The threat of death? The vast crowd? Or is it the steadfast love of God? Is there a God who can deliver you? Indeed, there is. And he has delivered his people. Well, let's continue with the story. Verses 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego show us that although life is hard in this world, faith and obedience is possible. Hear again what they say, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Amen? you got to love these men. Their answer in the face of death. But consider the faith, not just that they had, but that God gave them. God gave them. It was God who enabled these men to stand when everyone else was bowing. It is God who restrains our sin. And it's God who enables our obedience. He's the one who works in us to give us even the desire to do what is right. And then the strength to follow through on that desire. Now that doesn't mean that we blame God when we sin. God forbid. We are always accountable for our own actions. And we do what we want to do. What does it mean? It means we recognize our complete dependence upon God. We cry out to him for help. And we make use of the means of help that he has given to us. And we humbly thank him for his aid. But notice what they say first. Our God whom we serve is able. Beloved, the God whom you serve is able. They trusted in the power of our almighty God. The most powerful man on earth in their time had issued this challenge right to their face. Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And God's people responded, Our God, our God whom we serve is able. They trusted in his power against all odds, but they also rested in his goodness. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. They trusted in the goodness of their God. They knew their lives were not in the hands of the king that threatened their lives. Their lives were in the hands of the true king that created their lives. 
that had formed and fashioned them in their mother's womb, who had numbered their days. They knew their, hand, their lives were in the hands of their good, loving father who delights to give them the kingdom. And so they trusted in both the power of God and in the goodness of God. They didn't live in fear, though it was a fearful situation. They lived from faith and from the favor of their one true God. And beloved, this is the nature of faith for the believer. Psalm 910 says, those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Beloved, when you know God, you trust him. But there's more to faith than simply believing God. Yes, we trust in his power. Yes, we rest in his goodness. But faith also submits to God's will and obeys God's commands. You see, right after they profess their faith, our God is able and he will deliver us. They go on to say, but if not, but if not, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. There's that resolve again that these men have. You see, although they trusted God, they did not know his divine will for their specific circumstances. They didn't know whether they would live or die. And so their faith was not in the outcome. Would they be delivered? Would they live? Their faith instead was in the God over the outcome. The God who reigned over all. And while they did not know the divine will of God for the specific outcome of this trial, they did know the divine will of God when it came to whether or not they should bow, whether or not they should worship other gods. It was the first of the commandments. Exodus chapter 20. We heard it earlier. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. God's word was crystal clear on the will of God for their obedience. They knew the will of God in this situation. They were prepared to obey God and to leave the consequences, trust the outcome to their sovereign loving king. They were prepared to be obedient to the point of death. And while they were prepared to do this, beloved, we know one who did do this. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, was obedient to the point of death. Why? Why? Because we are not. Because we do not always trust or obey God. We do bow under the pressure of this world. The hardships overwhelm us and we cannot stand. But thanks be to God. He loved us so much that he sent his own son to do what we could not do. To obey where we failed to die in our sins in our place. Amen. Beloved, that is good news for us today, and it is true. When we trust in Jesus, our Savior, the more we come to know him, the more we see his glory and his love, the more his steadfast love is before our eyes, we realize that what matters most is not the outcome of our trials, our temptations. Will we live or die? Will we get what we want? Will God answer our prayers according to our desires That's not what matters most. What matters most is worship. 
Will we worship the God who loves us and gave himself for us? Will we trust and obey him? Will we yield absolutely everything about our lives to him for his glory? Now, why is worship so central? Jesus faced this same temptation. The devil took him out into the wilderness. He said, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth if you will bow down and worship me. And what does Jesus say? Like his people here, he says, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Worship is central because there is only one true God. There is only one God who is worthy of your worship and his steadfast love is better than life itself. Better than living. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Worship matters more than living or dying because there's no other God who can rescue in this way. Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Was the challenge issued by Nebuchadnezzar. And now we see this in the closing section of the story, verses 19 and 30. We see this God. You know, Nebuchadnezzar responds to the faithfulness of these three men with increased fury. He gets even angrier. Apparently, a normal fire is not hot enough to do the damage he wants to inflict on them. So let's heat it up seven times hotter than normal. Now in the Bible, that number seven is the number of perfection. So basically, what it's telling us is, let's make it as hot as possible. As hot as possible. And so it becomes so hot that the flames of fire actually killed the mighty men from Nebuchadnezzar's army who threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire. Catch the irony. Nebuchadnezzar had asked, who is the God? Who will deliver you out of my hands? And now his own servants die. While the servants of the living God defy death and live. Don't miss the irony. God is able to protect his own far better than any false gods of this world can. Nebuchadnezzar had no power. Absolutely none over Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or even over his own army. God did. Our God did. Nebuchadnezzar was put to shame. He was mocked while the true God was exalted. I mean, just look at it. How well did God protect his people in the fire? Verse 27. Everyone, everyone saw. It's a visible display. Everyone saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair on their head was not singed. Now, I can't be the only one that this has ever happened to. Right? You have a gas grill, and the ignition button doesn't work anymore, so you throw a a match to light it, and boom! And all of a sudden, the hair on my arms and my eyebrows is singed. I can't be the only one that's ever done that. The hair on their head is not singed. Their cloaks are not harmed. You know, we love to heat our home with a wood stove. There was one time I was loading up wood in the wood stove, and I was done, I looked, and my coat had melted on my arm. I didn't even realize that, thankfully, I was wearing a coat. Their their cloaks are not even harmed, and the smell of fire wasn't even on them. All of you who've been around a campfire, you know you have to wash your clothes after being outside around a fire. They're not touched in any way. 
by the fire. You know, in the New Testament, Jesus comforted his disciples. He's teaching them that the very hairs on their head are all numbered. Now, when he's teaching them, I just wonder if his disciples thought of this story. You think they must have. What's the point? The point is God is able to protect his own people down to the very smallest details. The very tiniest of details. This was a visible display for all to see. The false gods, the idols of this world are exposed. They cannot deliver. They are powerless to save. The God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of the living and not the dead. Our God today. He is the only one who can truly save. This is our God, beloved. He's with us. Now there's very interesting here. For these three men, God sent a fourth man to be with them in the fire. Now who was this fourth man? Now again, we have to be careful here. We can't speculate. What do the scriptures actually say? Some say it was a Christophany a physical appearance of Jesus before his birth. It's possible, but we don't know for sure. The text doesn't tell us. Nebuchadnezzar says that his appearance was like a son of the gods and that God sent his angel to deliver his servants. So whether it's an angel or whether it was indeed a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, we can't say for sure, but we can say it was a foreshadowing of God himself coming to dwell physically with his people. Emmanuel, Jesus, God in the flesh, with us. This is what God does for his people. He comes to them in their trouble. And what we do know is that this was a physical demonstration of God's presence with his people in the midst of their distress. So God didn't simply rescue them from the fire. He sent his personal emissary to pass through the fire with them. It's a fulfillment of Isaiah 43. The prophet says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the fire, you shall not be burned. The flame shall not consume you. Beloved, life in this world indeed is hard. There are real troubles. There are real dangers. We don't always know how they are going to turn out. But we do know that our God will not forsake us. He will come to us. He is with us. Jesus did not always remove us from our trials in such a dramatic way as this, but he's always with us. He does always meet us there in the midst of them. And beloved, for the child of God, every single one of them has the same end result. Praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God will be faithful to you. He'll enable your faithfulness to him. And the end result of every trial that you will ever face in this world will be praise and honor and revelation at the the, the appearing, the glory of your Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is so different from Nebuchadnezzar. And I think we're meant to see that contrast once again. Once again, Jesus is not desperate to hold on to his kingdom for himself. He doesn't fly off in a rage. He's not out of control in anger. He delights in bringing people into his kingdom. He desires to bring people into his kingdom. He is the true king that all must bow down to. 
Now, once again, Jesus refers to this imagery from Daniel chapter 3 in the Gospels. In Matthew 13, Jesus is teaching on his kingdom, the true kingdom. And he says this, the Son of Man will send his angels... And they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Beloved, life in this world is hard, but the day is coming. The kingdom is coming when all wickedness and evil and all sin and sorrow will be gone. And this is good news for us, not because we are not sinful, but because Jesus, our King, gave his life for us when we were sinners. He took the punishment of hell that we deserve so that we could be delivered from the fires of hell, so that we could be brought into the marvelous light of his kingdom. There is no other God who is able to rescue in this way other than our Savior, Jesus. You know, this amazing true story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the burning fiery furnace tells us about this great deliverance, but it's really about worship. Who will you worship? What do you keep before your eyes? In the former Soviet Union, there were these periodic efforts to wipe out religious belief and worship. And at one time, the Communist Party sent out their government officials, their KGB agents, and they went to the nation's churches on a Sunday morning. And in one of those churches, one of their agents was particularly struck by the devotion of one elderly woman as she was kissing the feet of a life-size statue of Christ on the cross. And he went up to her and he said to her, Dear woman, Are you prepared to kiss the feet of our beloved general secretary? The beloved general secretary of our great communist party. And she said, why of course. But only if you crucify him first. Only if you crucify him first. Beloved, what is before your eyes? Is it the steadfast love of the Lord seen most clearly in the cross of our Savior Jesus Christ? If that's what's before your eyes, it will compel you to worship him and him alone. There is no room for divided loyalties. You cannot worship Jesus and your idols. You cannot. And beloved, you don't even want to. You don't want to. Why? Because you know there is only one king who is worthy of your worship. You know there is only one God with the authority to cast you into hell. And you know that there is only one judge who can save you from hell. And you know there is one lamb who died to take away your sins. And there is only one savior who is able to rescue you. And there is only one Emmanuel who is with you in your trials. There is only one good shepherd who will indeed bring you safely home. And it's at his name that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and confess that Jesus Christ alone is Lord to the glory of our great God and Father. Beloved, your trust in this one, the God who made you and loves you and gave himself for you, your trust in him will never be put to shame. He alone is worthy 
of your exclusive worship and obedience. May you bow to him today and ever only to him. Amen.